we're there to fix our eyes on God's glory in Christ. You know, he who said, let light shine out of darkness is also shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what we're there to do. And so, hey, Jesus is more impressive than all of us. So I'm just, I'm just you know, in front of people to say, look to him. The best we can be is a signpost. We're not, we're not the main event. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Bob Coughlin. Bob is a pastor, a songwriter, and a well-known worship leader. After pastoring for 12 years, he became director of Sovereign Grace Music in 1997 and currently serves as an elder at Sovereign Grace Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Bob's also the author of Worship Matters, leading others to encounter the greatness of God from Crossway. Today, Bob and I discuss his work as a songwriter and worship leader. He reflects on how God led him into a career in music, what his process looks like when it comes to writing songs for the church, and what it's like to lead a crowd of thousands in worship at a conference like Together for the Gospel. Let's get started. Well, Bob, thank you so much for joining me today on the Crossway Podcast. My joy. So you're a well-known musician, a worship leader, a songwriter. Uh, And so I guess my question for you to start us off is, when did you first know that you were going to devote your career, if not even your life to some extent, to music? Wow. Uh, uh, Well, when I was in 7th or 8th grade, I think it was 8th grade, so I was 13 years old, uh, they asked us to write a... A little project called So You Want to Be, <laughs> dot, 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 you know, ellipsis. And I wrote a composer. Wow. Uh, so, I mean, the Lord, I wasn't a Christian, but the Lord must have been planting seeds mm. at that time to you know, that made me want to write songs and give myself to, you know, the world of music. Mm. Do you have a sense for where that came from as a, a little 13-year-old? Uh, you know, my mom had all of us take piano. And uh, it was in seventh grade I learned that you could play songs by ear off the radio, from the radio, you know, hear them on the radio and then just learn it. And that, that like opened up the whole new world for me. So I just started exploring chords and then lyrical ideas and it was pretty exciting. I still remember it. Yeah. So you were, so at first you were just kind of playing them from here. You didn't, you didn't actually uh, know the music theory behind it? I was taking music theory because I started piano lessons when I was eight. But uh, around that time, it was so I knew some theory, but it was just the fact that I didn't have to play my notes. I could play mm. just by ear. Yeah, and that does open up this whole world. It's really ideal if you're a musician to, to be able to do both. Yeah, it, it's it's the best of all worlds. Did your musically. parents play any instruments, or did they just kind of have you do that? My mom played piano, and she played a lot of record records. <laughs> um, my dad tried to play to play organ, but he wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> We had this little two-tier organ in our house, I remember growing up, which he would play sometimes. But it was mostly my mom, her her input. Were your parents believers? No, I was raised a Catholic. Okay. And uh, yeah, they uh, yeah, they did the best they could, I think. I became a Christian as a freshman in, in college. Yeah. And uh, you know, learned for the first time that, that when Jesus died on the cross, uh, he... He bought my forgiveness. He paid for all my sins. If, if I trusted in him, he, 
he paid for all my sins for forever. And that was a new thought for me. Mm. And it changed my life 48 years ago. Mm. Wow. Um, I, I saw a picture on your your personal website, I think was taken maybe in 2013, and it showed, I think I counted 16 grandkids. <laughs> uh, I, I wonder, how many do you have now, and are any of 19. them musical? 19. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, you know, some of them are, are they're not all musical. Um, some of them are getting into it. I have a granddaughter, Julia, who's, I think, 13 now, 14. She sings in choirs, and so I'm always encouraging her, send me your, send me a video of your choir, and <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. So uh, you know, our oldest is 19, going to be 19 in, uh, in August. And uh, so there, there's still time, but mm. yeah, they all love music, and it's just uh, to differing degrees they get actually get involved in it. I teach two of my grandsons piano by Zoom. So oh, I should say that. So, has that been a new thing in light of quarantine? It has been. Yeah. And how's how's that going? <laughs> it's well. One is I'm just getting started with. The other I've been doing for about uh, I think three months or so. It's going much better than it did with my children. So let me just say that <laughs> <laughs> having a little bit of that distance maybe helps. Uh, yeah, I'm not quite as hard on them, and I hopefully have learned since then. Plus, the one grandson is a great student. He practices mm. every week, so it's great. So when you were learning piano as a kid, was it something that you were just naturally very motivated to learn and to really put in the time practicing, or was it something that, at least for a period, you had to kind of be forced to do? I think early on, I mean, I'd had this memory of six years old, I was making up a song. So I, I had, you know, this is, this, I can't even sing it for you now, but I'll spare you. <laughs> um, so I love music. I was surrounded by music. I, I, was kind of forced, I think, during elementary school. And it wasn't until I got in seventh and eighth grade, and as I was talking about learning to play by ear, that it just, I just couldn't get enough of it. Mm. I would, I just play all the time. Yeah, yeah. So then walk us through that a little bit. I think for those of us who are less musically inclined, and I would, I would include myself in that category, I love music, but, but the thought of starting with a blank page and then somehow ending with this beautiful song that has. Mm. A beautiful Hopefully. melody and yeah, and, and wonderful rich words that that just feels like a mystery to me. So maybe where do you start when it, when you sit down to write a new song? I mean, there there is it's you know it's both a, a gifting and a craft, and you know you have some books like Outliers and um, the Talent is Overrated that that make the case that it's all you know circumstance and practice. It's all and, practice, and I don't. There's a lot of truth in that. I just don't believe it fully. I talked to my college piano teacher about 10 years ago. He's, he's, he's since passed away. But I asked him about his impressions of that. He said, no way. Hmm. No way. You have two people. You know, One practices eight hours a day. The other practices three. The one who practices three has more musical gifting. They will every time surpass the one who practices eight. Eight hours a day. Hmm. I mean, in if they don't have the musical gifting. Yeah. So how do you, you know? It's like I imagine it's like me trying to uh, be an artist. I am not an artist. You know, drawing. I see people do that, and I go, "How in the world do you look at that and then transfer that to paper? That is unbelievable. It's a flat piece of paper, and you make it look three dimensional." That's right. <laughs> I mean, I know the principles, but to do it, I just couldn't. So it's very much connected to the way you feel and process things. So when I hear beautiful music, I might ask, how, how does that affect me? Why does that affect me? And then I will 
try and you know produce that. And in what connects those is the skills that you have. You know, if if, if I have more skills that are developed, I have more opportunity. Have a greater palate. Yeah, I have more opportunities to to say things a certain way. So it's mysterious. But the inborn thing is maybe the ability to see that um, something's happening, understand how those how the music is making an impact on somebody. Yeah, yeah. And because I studied music, there there's an element of okay, I know this chord sounds like this, but it's it's a combination of like that theory knowledge and just a feeling. Because you don't have to be a musician to know that you like a certain kind of music. Yeah, right. You you have to know why. So do you find yourself just constantly analyzing or kind of trying to unpack the songs that you're listening? You know, why is it having this effect on me? Oh, I can kind of see what he's doing here. Is that kind of yes. a constant? Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, I listen uh, primarily, especially in congregational worship, I listen to lyrics. And so that's a very distinct um, thought process for me. So there are songs that I think are absolutely beautiful that I would never lead in my congregation. Mm. Because, uh, you know, God tells us in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, giving, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's not let musical experiences dwell in you richly. It's not let an artist's voice dwell in you richly. It's not let the guitar riff dwell in you richly. It's the word of Christ. So in congregational worship, I... I'm looking for, does this make me tr- know and treasure and appreciate Christ and his work more? Uh, so, so yeah, it's, it's two different things. So when it comes to the writing process, what comes first for you typically? Is it, is it the melody or is it the words just because those have you know, a certain emphasis to them? Uh, it varies. Um, I like to write music from words, you know, words that are written. Someone send me some words and I'll put music to it. Mm. But when I'm writing by myself, uh, a lot of times I'll get words and melody initially exactly the same time. I just I'll just think of a line and it just it's, it, there's a melody there. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned just how um, important the words are and the the theological significance there. And I think as we kind of look around, probably one of the most common things that we might hear from a conservative, reform type crowd is that sometimes they can be critical of popular contemporary music for being maybe a little bit theologically vacuous or overly emotional uh, in terms of um, in terms of what's what's propelling the song forward what's what's giving the song its life so I, I wonder what what is the balance between overemphasizing and underemphasizing the importance of our emotions in our yes. worship I, th- I think the most helpful way of thinking about this is to distinguish between emotions and affections. Emo- and Jonathan Edwards wrote on this, um, emotions are the fact that we respond to things, we feel things. A- a- anybody can move your emotions. Affections are why those things, why we feel those things, why we feel the emotions we do. So if my affection is the glory of Christ, if, if I have a love for the glory of Christ deep down, it's going to affect my emotions. I'm not going to respond perhaps to something that's beautiful but immoral or something that's beautiful but vague because I'm, my affections are telling me, wait, that's not, 
that's not magnifying Christ. It's not saying that he that he left his throne and is, it became incarnate and and lived a perfect life. I mean, not has to say all those things, but it's not it's not drawing attention to him. So that's because of my affection. So as I mentioned earlier, sometimes I'll listen to a, a song and know my emotions are being moved, but because my affections are driven towards wanting to honor the word of Christ and 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 Jesus himself, those emotions will be tempered, and I won't let them kind of rule the day. Mm. I want my affections to rule the day. And, and for everybody, our affections do rule the day. What we desire the most is what rules us. Yeah. That's, that's the way we're going to go. Yeah. And maybe this relates to it. Uh, in your book, you, you write, uh, actually, there's a quote, um, the successful marketing of worship music inside and outside the walls of the church has changed what the church sings and how we understand worship. So I wonder, can you unpack that change? What, how, how has that actually happened? Well, we have more songs available to us instantly than any time in history. So there's no there there are a few gatekeepers nowadays as mm. there used to be. You know, it used to be denominations would put out hymnals. These are the approved songs. Well now anybody can can pick their songs. There is no I mean there are gatekeepers, but they're not many. <laughs> so the gatekeeper is the internet, and that's a horrible gatekeeper. Right. Uh, because basically, you know, people can do whatever they feel like doing. And the problem with that is that what's popular isn't always what's good. Mm. And what's good isn't always what's best. So there, if some people may not know, there's an a, a, a organization, CCLI, that um, you know, measures, keeps track of songs, how often songs are sung in churches all over the world. And they have a because churches a have list. to buy like a subscription to that, right? And they have to yes, kind of yeah, yeah. That's how they control the copyright of them and and all of it's, that. And I, I like to say it's a way of compensating those who serve the church with their songs. Because mm. I'm both a publisher and a writer with Sovereign Grace Music. I'm a publisher. I'm a, I'm a writer. I, I've seen both sides. I'm a pastor. So I like to think of it as you know what we want to encourage people who are writing songs that serve the church. So let's. So this is a way to do it. So you know you have your top 100 CCLI songs. Well, those might not be the best for my church. Just because they're popular doesn't mean they're fit for my congregation. So that's that's what I mean. That the industry has really brought about a revolution in terms of the way the church, the way in terms of the songs that the church chooses to sing. Mm, yeah. Well, another thing that you talk a lot about in the book that I think is something that probably all Christians to some extent, certainly all pastors and leaders have probably had to wrestle with a little bit, is just trying to find a balance when it comes to singing in the church uh, between doing that with excellence and making beautiful, engaging music that um, people want to listen to, want to be a part of, with, uh, on the other hand, going so far as to making it feel like a concert or a show that people are kind of merely spectators with, um, just like any other show they might go to. Yeah. So how do you think about that balance, even practically speaking, as a worship leader, when you go to lead a, a group of people in worship? Boy, that's a great question, Matt. Um, you know, as, as a trained musician, I 
I have to recognize that my skills, my practice, my technique, they're to be used for a purpose. My, my goal is not to show my skill. My, my goal is to point to Christ. That's, that's what I'm there for. So I love what John Piper has called um, undistracting excellence. Hmm. So it's an excellence that moves people in a certain way. It's different from a concert in that a concert is really dependent on the individual listeners and their maturity to determine whether or not it's worship. So I can go to a you know I can go to a, an orchestra concert and worship the Lord. Yeah. But but they're not doing anything to help me do that. Huh. They're just playing the music. So it's about your intentions as the leader as well. Yes. Yeah, so as a leader now, I want to make it as easy as possible for people to see why we're there, why we're doing what we do. So the more I allow production and performance to dominate the the event, you know, the, the the service, the harder it's going to be for people to see what we're there for. And and that's a balance. You know, every congregation has to work that out. And I would say it's not a problem just of, you know, traditional music. It's a problem of contemporary music as well. Mm. You know, we can do anything with such excellence that people are drawn to to that rather than the one we're there to sing to and be changed by. So what would you say to the person listening to that? And they say, what, are you saying that I need to intentionally not play as well as I know I can play? (laughs) Well, I would say first, you probably don't play as well as you think you do. (laughs) But secondly, I'd say, no, you use your skills for a greater purpose than just showing your skills. So I could sit in front of a, a congregation and do all kinds of arpeggios and scales and you know all kinds of things that, that show people, hey, I got skills. But I don't want to do that. I want to use them sparingly so that people at the right moment are moved by them in compliment or in, in um, as a compliment to, the truths we're singing. So I, I've led, had the privilege of leading at different conferences, large conferences, mostly pastors. And uh, in that context, I'm just, it's just me on a piano. And there'll be times when I'm just playing, you know, a couple notes and, and letting the sound of the congregation rise. Now, I could be doing more, but it just doesn't seem to be the, <laughs> the right choice at that moment. And sometimes I don't play at all. Mm. Because I want to motivate, what I'm there for is to motivate faith-filled, Christ-exalting, emotionally engaged singing. That's what I'm there to do. So if they're spending most of their time listening to me play or being distracted by the things I'm playing, I'm not serving the purpose for which God has me there. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder, as you think back then over your career as a worship leader, are there certain, maybe very practically, certain things that you've stopped doing that you once did, or maybe started doing that you you didn't do before, uh, as a way to intentionally cultivate the right atmosphere and and mindset among even your listeners. Anything come to mind? Yeah, uh, actually, Hamilton comes right to mind. Talk less, smile more. <laughs> um, uh, playing less, uh, and I'm not trying to create an atmosphere. To be clear, I'm trying to. Um, engage people's hearts with music, their emotions, and then make the words very clear. 
you know, you know the connections very clear. So it's, we're not just singing a bunch of random songs. We're involving scripture. It's, it's all of a piece, and that's what I'm trying to do for them. So I think, I mean, I've always wanted to see Jesus exalted when I lead, but I think my intentions are probably a lot clearer in my own heart now than they used to be. I used to actually struggle with uh, just being in front of people I respected. You know, when I was leading, uh, they're, they're my senior pastor, it might be, you know, whoever, somebody I really respected, and uh, I would just, that'd be, that's all I'd be thinking about. Mm. Like, <laughs> this person's watching me? Yes. What do they think of this? Will they, you know, do they like that? Oh, that was so stupid. And, you know, now I've I've led in front of, you know, all the you know, John Piper and John MacArthur and just all these guys. And I can say, praise God, by his grace, I don't think about them. Hmm. You know, I because we're there to fix our eyes on God's glory in Christ. You know, he, he said, let light shine out of darkness is also shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's That's what we're there to do. And so, hey, Jesus is more impressive than all of us. So I'm just I'm just you know in front of people to say look to him yeah the best we can be is a signpost yeah we're not we're not the main event so so speak to you mentioned uh, leading worship in front of thousands of people pastors maybe one of the conferences you're you're most closely associated with uh, are the T4G conferences where church leaders uh, attend there and you've you've led the worship there for a number of years now what's it like to to be at that piano leading thousands of people in corporate singing together. Yeah. Uh, well, since I'm I'm getting older, uh, my chops are not what they used to be. So I'd say the first day or two, I'm a little, and we're recording it. So that if we weren't recording it, none of this would be an issue. Is an added pressure because it's being recorded? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you can't overdub an acoustic <laughs> piano. I mean, it's very, very difficult. So the first couple of days, I'm a little distracted, I think. Um, but mostly, I just love it, Matt. I just love... I mean, this is why I exist. This is why you exist. <laughs> you just don't play piano. Or maybe you do, I don't know. Uh, no, I definitely don't. I, you know, we exist... To, you know, to bring glory to Jesus Christ. He's glorious. He's infinitely glorious. And so I, I'm sitting in front of people singing these words that are so rich and so, you know, biblically rooted and Christ exalting and these melodies that are emotionally engaging. And I'm thinking, this is so fun. This is so good that I get to you know, be a, be a, a facilitator, if you will, hmm. for all these guys. I don't know where they are, mostly guys, the women there as well, but um, where, you know, I don't know where they're at. I don't know whether they've just had, you know, a stillborn child. I don't know if they've, they're struggling in their church. I don't know if they're rejoicing in how the blessings of God, but what I do know is this, what they need most is to look at Jesus, that by the Holy Spirit, his power, working through them, they need to see how glorious he is. And I get to do that. So I just I just love it. Well, that's one of the cool things about music, uh, music in general, but even uh, as we've been talking, music that's rooted in Scripture, that has these solid truths that we can, we can hang our lives on, is they can meet us in so many of those situations. We might be each coming from different 
expressions of brokenness and sin and, and pain in our lives, and yet uh, God's word through these songs can can meet us in powerful ways. Yes, uh, my theme. Let's say I did a we did a, an album. Sovereign Grace did an album, The Glorious Christ, and we, it was the same time as a conference I did. I think last year, and the theme was uh, the glorious Christ. Music is great. Jesus is greater, mm. and that's that's kind of been a theme. In fact, I, I've started signing off my emails. Keep making much of Jesus, because whatever position you're in, you know, wherever you find yourself, if you make much of Him, you'll be better off, because in the end, all creation's going to be making much of Him. So why not get ready for that now? Why not prepare your heart Start for that? Start practicing. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Okay, so what's a worship song that you love, that just is, has a special place in your heart, uh, that you wish you could have been the one to write? Before the Throne of God Above. Why do you love that song so much? <laughs> well, actually, you know, this woman, Charity Lee's Bancroft Smith, wrote it in the 19th century, and then Vicki Cook... A uh, good friend, um, she and her husband Steve, uh, wrote the music back in 1997, I think, 97, 98. Uh, why do I wish I could have written that? Um, I've sung it countless times, and it is such a fine melding of m- lyric and melody. You know, the lyrics are just, they're... they're Christ, our intercessor, Christ, our high priest, Christ, our propitiatory sacrifice, our substitution, substitutionary sacrifice, Christ, who we are now in union with, Christ, our risen Savior. I mean, it just covers all this ground. And I love the line, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. And then, and then she tells us why, how that happened. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. Well, what difference does that make? Well, God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Oh, it's just, it's facts that change your life once you once you understand the meaning of that and the importance of it. And then Vicki wrote this melody that, you know, when you sing, uh, you know, uh, when Satan tells me to despair, you know, it tells me how to get within, because the sinless, you know, you just belt right. it out, Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. Mm. And it never gets old. It never gets old. So in Christ alone is like that. City of Light has a new song, um, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me, very similar. It just, songs that help you understand who Jesus really is and what he really did, and they do it with a melody that's singable and emotionally engaging, they're the best. Mm, yeah. They are just the best. Yeah. So you've been, as we said already, you've been writing and singing and leading worship for, I think, over four decades, if my math is right. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and you said maybe you're not you're not as sharp in some ways as you once were, but but as you think about as you consider where we're at now compared to where we were at as a church, thinking about the evangelical church as a whole when you first started, and then you also look to the future uh in the coming four decades. What's your prayer for the church? Mm, my prayer is that we would see that the gifts of God can only point to the giver. There is, we will never make music that is worthy of the one we sing about and to. But, but, uh, 
there are gifts that God gives the church to do that. So new songs, new hymns, new arrangements, new voices, uh, and their their best use is to is toward that end to help people see we were made to glorify God in Jesus Christ, to receive the forgiveness that he alone provides through his perfect life, substitutionary death, and victorious resurrection, and to live in such a way that people see us and they go, oh, that person is different because they know Christ. Mm. And so I'd love the church to be more and more a place where you bring the the theology and the rich doctrine and the uh, you know the, the biblical faithfulness together with a, not only a passion for God, but a passion for obedience, a passion for a holy life, a passion for purity. Because there's a big disconnect still in in the between the songs we profess, the truths we sing about, the promises we say we believe, and the way we live our lives. For too many people, there is there is this chasm. For too many leaders. Uh, so one of the burdens for the rest of my life is to contribute to helping those who lead music in the church to understand that their first accountability is to, to God. And that may seem obvious, <laughs> But it's not to their profession, it's not to their career, it's not to their leading, it's, it's to God. We are stewards of the gospel. And uh, I mean, I've had conversations with too many people in the last few years where they, they have a public ministry. They are either leading in their church, they're a songwriter, they're a producer, they're a musician, and their lives are not being lived for the glory of Jesus. Um, and it's usually... Well, I, I won't try to give reasons, but uh, that should not be, because Jesus is more glorious than, than anything we do for him. And it's that grace that doesn't come through, because they don't know it. Yeah. They haven't seen it. All right, last question, maybe a little more fun one here. Uh, if you could jam with any musician, living or dead, for an hour, <laughs> who would it be? Oh, man. Might be a hard choice. Uh, uh, no, Keith Jarrett. Keith Jarrett. Um He's a jazz piano player. He would improvise for 20 minutes. He'd do concerts where he'd just do nothing but improvise. Spiritually, he's just he's AWOL. Mm. But uh, musically, um, it's, it's unbelievable uh, what he does. And that's really inspired me over the years to, to do more spontaneous stuff. Um, he's got a number of albums out. He's still alive. Um, but he'll just, they'll go by the cities, the Cone concert, you know, the, I forget the names all, but he just, I did this concert in this city and it was like two hours of just spontaneous music. Wow. That's another one of those things that just is com- a complete mystery to me, how you could produce something that flows and is coherent, but without any practice or any thought ahead of time. Well, it's not unlike speaking. I'm watching my one-year-old granddaughter learn how to speak. It's just little bit by bit, mm. piece by piece, you start putting things together, and then you have these chunks, and then you put the chunks together. And so when you're, you're being spontaneous, you're drawing upon thousands of hours of playing. Yeah, right. And you just know what it's going to sound like before you play it. Yeah, wow. 
Well, Bob, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. Oh, this whole thing has been fun. It wasn't just one fun question. Thank you so much, Matt. It's just so helpful to hear you reflect on not just your career and your ministry uh, as a worship leader, but, but even just helping maybe all of us think a little bit more deeply about what it is we're doing when we come to sing to our God, what it, the significance of the songs that we're singing. And uh, it's just it's really helpful for all of us. That's my prayer, and I hope it's been encouraging. That was Bob Coughlin on writing music and leading worship for the church. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, Worship Matters, Leading Others to Encounter the Greatness of God, available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's Word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.